Hello, and welcome to the Good Life Community Church podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope that you might be encouraged, challenged, and that you might hear the invitation to be a part of the transformative work of God. At the moment, we're in quite a big series tackling the book of Revelation. Mike has called it Liberating Revelation, and he did a two-part introduction. So if you've missed that, be sure to check it out. Otherwise, today we're hearing from Hannah Bartle. I really hope you enjoy what she has to share. Here I am. If you were here last week, um, I said I was doing part two of the seven churches, and then I finished on Sunday and came home and went, I got nothing for part two. (laughs) I realised I had kind of said everything I wanted to say, and then I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to do? But don't worry. The Spirit, as He does... Um, it's great. It's going to be good. Um, but yeah, I went down a different track than I thought I was going to. Um, welcome if you are new and this is your first time. You've come smack bang in the middle of our Revelation series. So super easy to pick up. Just slide on in. No worries. You haven't missed anything at all. <laughs> um, and if you are new or if you've been away, you haven't caught up on everything, we do have a podcast. This is a little plug before I start. We do have a podcast. We our sermon from Sunday um, is always it goes on YouTube and it's filmed, but we also put it on a podcast. And we actually also have started a new series of episodes called the Pondering Episodes. And in those, um, myself and some other people, we have it's more of a chat. It's called the Ponderings because it's us kind of thinking about and talking about things that have come up in the series that we've been teaching on and questions people have had. Um, and so, and we get to chat through it and kind of get to pick apart a bit more, delve into things a little bit more. Um, But the idea is that we actually get to answer our community's questions. Because I know that when you sit down and hear things, you're kind of going, wait, I don't know what that meant. Or what about this? How does that refer to this? Or whatever. So if you have questions and I, I can't imagine nobody after the last three weeks has had no questions about what we've talked about, right? So if you have, please, you're allowed to ask them. Sunday after church, look, it's a little bit hectic and we're packing up and things like that and Mike or I or someone else might look at you and you ask a question and our brains are fried. But if you give us time, we would love to be able to address it and we want to do so in this kind of podcast forum as well. And so we're going to be recording our next podcast pondering episode this coming week and we'd love it. If you have questions, it doesn't matter how uh, big or small or like anything about this, please, you can email them here um, or you could write it on a piece of paper and chuck it in the offering box or whatever it is that you want to do. But we really want to make sure that this space is one in which we are not hitting you over the head with this is what you have to believe. We're trying to open this discussion and to give some insight as best as we can um, and from the time we've put into um, our study. So that's that little plug. Got questions? That's really good. Let's ask them. You can email them. Um, you can write them down. You can come and ask me and I'll write it down and then I'll try and, we'll try and remember to address it. Okay? Cool. Um, great. So, last week I talked on, I introduced the seven churches and the letters that are written to the seven churches and we kind of did this overview about this, this collective message about are you going to compromise or not in, in this empire, in this land of 
what, we, what is referred to as Babylon in the scriptures. It's referring to Rome, to empire, and it's still relevant to us now. And so what I'm kind of looking at today is we're going to look at this question of, in that same vein, of whom will you worship? Because this book of Revelation, I don't know if you've noticed and if you've read through it, there's a lot of imagery of worship. The prayer that we just, or the scripture that we just read out then is part of the worship of the throne room of heaven. There are about nine different songs in the book of Revelation that are all songs that are sung and to God and about God. And so worship is this really key element of revelation and what i'm going to do today is look at a church that is a really good example of what happens when worship is corrupted and we're going to be looking at the church of laodicea so we've talked about how revelation depicts this ongoing battle between the dragon we've used the language that's used in revelations so the dragon babylon it's this representation of empire of and it represents greed, power, control, violence, lust, all of these things that want to take over. And then we have this battle between that and the lamb. Self-sacrificial love, endurance through suffering, joy, kindness, goodness and faithfulness, self-control, love of enemy and neighbour. There's, there's this battle going on between these two ways. And John is writing this letter to give instruction on how we can live, how the first century church could live. And again, it's no different now. We live in similar circumstances, how we can live in this type of empire. And it begins with worship. The throne of God and the Lamb of God are these two images that dominate Revelation. I think the th word throne appears about 43 times and the Lamb, the word Lamb in reference to Christ, appears about 28 times. And together these images reveal the central theology of this text, that God, the Creator, reigns and is worthy of our complete devotion. And Jesus, the faithful, slaughtered Lamb of God, reigns with God and is equally deserving of our complete devotion. And so we looked at these seven letters. That's, that's what really the crux of this letter is about, who God is and then who we are called to be as his followers and how we live in the world we live in. And John doesn't do the thing where it's like, cool, he wrote seven letters. He said, you know, these are the things you need to work on. And he doesn't then just give a step-by-step -step plan. No, we come straight into this vision of the throne room of God. It's a vision where worship is occurring because he wants the seven churches to know that to live as God wants them to live within Babylon, within empire, meant that they would need to form a life of worship. And actually, we just read, and we've got the scripture there, there's this description of um, the throne room the four living creatures, and these living creatures were like a lion. The one was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, the fourth was a flying eagle. Each of them um, had six wings covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, and we just read this, we've sung this today, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And it would be remiss of me to not kind of do a little bit of a let's look at what the symbols are, the symbolism is here, because um, we know that Revelation, and Mike has done such a good job at kind of giving us his indications of what all this imagery means. The four living creatures are symbolic of the four corners of the earth and represent all of creation, not just humanity, but all of creation, worshipping God. The 24 elders, they represent... The fulfillment, it's the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles help to represent this fulfillment of covenant and of promise to Abraham. It is all of humanity. It is the fullness and what Jesus has done that all of humanity. So we have this beautiful image of what John's saying is everything that God has made is worshipping him. And it is this right placement of creation and pure devotion to God on the throne and to Jesus the Lamb that is John's message to the church. He wants them to remember that this is their calling and it's the central message revealing who God is. And this idea of worship, it's very easy for us and it would be really easy for me to try and just say, oh, worship's like it's the songs and I could try and make you feel like you've got to engage more in our, our musical worship. But worship here, and we're going to sing a song at the end that says this, worship is our whole life of devotion. We can express our worship through song, through music, but it is everything we do, we say, how we live. It is whole devotion. And we can worship God or we can worship other things. We can devote our lives to other things. Here, John is saying that worship should be our whole life lived in devotion to God on the throne and to Jesus, the Lamb who is in the middle. And when we look at Israel's history, we know the whole, all of Israel's history and everything that goes wrong, all the things that happen, it keeps coming back to this fact that they stopped worshipping God, Yahweh, and they worshipped other things. Every time they took their eyes off who Yahweh is and devoted themselves to him, they then worshipped other gods. And the way, it's the same thing, the way of Empire Babylon, it came on in and corrupted the people. So if worship is one's whole life devoted to God, then any dimension of surrender to anything else corrupts this worship. And so this is what we then see in these seven letters Five of the seven come under critique from Jesus because they have allowed the worship of the ways of empire to come in to their lives. To be a part of Roman society, quite practically, you actually had to participate in idol worship, going into the temples, into the feasts, if you wanted to be economically secure and you want to be part, if you were like a tradesman, and I said this last week, if you want to be a tradesman or something, you had to be a part of their guild. And to be a part of their guild, you had to participate in the feasts and all of the different celebrations. And a lot of those celebrations included the sexual abuse of women 
and children. So it's not just like, oh, they just ate a meal. No, no, it wasn't just eating a meal. There was horrible things that were committed within these celebrations and feasts. This way of empire had started to creep into the way in which these people who were meant to be followers of the lamb were living their lives. And they'd kind of just gone, oh, I guess that's just what you've got to do. The heart and the way of empire of Babylon was anti-God. It was life of opulence, exploitation and arrogance. And it constantly tested the Christians by their, and their worship by tempting them to accommodate to Roman life. And we see this in the church of Laodicea. And we're going to look at this church because I think there are probably things that are similar to how it functioned and how our Western church, when I say church, I kind of mean not just us, because yes, it's actually definitely applicable to us, but our Western churches, I think this one can really speak to what we experience and how we kind of live. Just like the other churches, or the other five, they had misplaced their worship and allowed the worship of self to become its purpose. So I'm going to read to you the message to Lady Asia, the letter. And bearing in mind, there's lots of imagery, lots of symbolism. Here we go. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Remember, this is that description of Jesus. The faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. This is what he says. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That word spit there is actually this word more akin to vomit, you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I advise you to buy gold from me refined by fire so that you may, so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe yourselves and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, I'm going to take a guess that a lot of people, if you've been in church long enough, you know this story and you at least know the hot cold, lukewarm analogy. Has anybody had anything ever taught about being not being lukewarm? You can show your hands. Let's see it. Yeah. When I was growing up, I distinctly remember these ones where it's you've got to be hot and on fire for Jesus or you've got to be cold and you've got to be totally out, but you cannot be in the middle. Has anyone had that message before? You know, that's not what it says. <laughs> what? So, let me tell you a little bit of history about this church, okay? Lady Asia was in Western Turkey. 
where earthquakes happened a lot. We know in Turkey still in the last 12 months they've suffered horrendous earthquakes. This has been happening for thousands of years. This is where all the churches were kind of placed to in this area. Um, in AD 17, Philadelphia, that's one of the churches, they were actually devastated by an earthquake and they had to have money and help from the Roman Empire to rebuild the city. And then in AD 61, an earthquake happened again, caused major damage to several cities in this valley. And all of them asked for help again from the Roman Empire. They needed money, but not Laodicea because they were very well-to-do and we won't take your money, thank you very much. They were a very prideful city. They were the banking capital of this area. This tells us something very important about the culture of this city. They didn't need anything. They were very well off. They did not need help from anywhere else. Laodicea stood at this junction of all the trade routes, so everybody came past this city. It boasted a really fine medical school, so people who were studying medicine, they would come from everywhere to study here, and they specialised in ophthalmology, the treatment of eye problems. They even had this special paste made of all these minerals. It's why Jesus references eye salve in his letter to the church. So they were known to have all the great medicine. They were really wealthy. They had their own fashion. The farmers of this particular city grew sheep with black wool. So they had started this trend of black clothing. And so they were really well dressed. What does Jesus say? I'm going to give you white robes. So there's all of these references to what's actually happening in that town. The one thing they did not have was a good water supply. The river that runs there, you can see it, I'm going to butcher the words, Lycus, maybe that's how they pronounced it. Um, it was not a strong river and it dried up often, particularly in the summer. But there were two other water sources that were closer to this city. To the north, standing on this really high cliff, was the city of Hierapolis. And you can still go there today because it boasts these hot springs. They were chemically charged, it's chemically charged water, really hot, that was restorative and known for its healing properties. You can still go there, you can go to them, there's now hotels and stuff built there, and you can go and you can sit in these springs. And this water would spill over the cliffs and leave this white mineral deposit that you also can still see today. So in the first century, they built these aqueducts that came into Laodicea. But by the time it reached this city, it was about four or five miles away, the water was no longer hot, it was tepid, it had cooled down. And not only that, because of all the minerals and the healing restorative properties of all the chemicals in this water, by the time it came to Laodicea and everything's lukewarm, all that remained were these chemicals that if you were to drink the water, it would make you violently ill and you would vomit. And it was only ever used if in medicine they wanted to make someone ill, well, they would drink that water. But it wasn't, you weren't able to drink it. So what you're left with is a lukewarm spring of water that's no use anymore. It's not the healing hot spring that people can go to. The second source of water 
was from the town of Colossae and it had suffered really badly in the earthquake of AD 61 and it didn't actually get rebuilt. But they had a water source that was from this mountain, Mount Cadmus, and it was this fast-flowing, chilly stream of water that was alpine quality. So it was this beautiful spring of cold water. But by the time it reached Laodicea, it's 11 miles away, we're in Turkey, it's very warm. What do you think it was like? Lukewarm. It was no longer cold and refreshing. It was just a lukewarm source of water. It's remarkable then that when we read this letter, it's not just this discussion about don't be lukewarm. It's actually this reference to how the city itself even functioned. Jesus addresses the the people with sorrow and anger. He's like, you're neither hot or cold. You are neither a hot spring where people can come and be restored and receive healing, and you are neither a cold spring of water that gives life and and quenches thirst and gives sustenance. You are neither of those things. You have just become this tepid mix of the culture in which you're in. I would pause here and say, are we hot springs or cold springs that offer life and healing and restoration? Or do we sometimes slip into just just a representation of everything else that's going on. Jesus goes on and says, you say I'm rich, I've done well, I don't need anything. This smug attitude that the whole city had because of how wealthy it was, had rubbed off on the church. Jesus says to them, you are poor, you're blind, you're naked. You think you're clothed in your fancy clothes. You think that your remedies can heal blindness, but I'm telling you, you're blind. And you think you're wealthy? No, I'm telling you, you're poor. What the church had done, they had worshipped what empire had given them. Rather than devoting themselves to the lamb, they'd become self-sufficient and they worshipped their self-sufficiency. And in doing so, they became a place that was neither healing nor was it a place that offered refreshment for those in need. Rather, they had become nothing more than the representation of the culture they lived in. They were not the faithful witness of Christ to the world. Our worship becomes our witness. What we worship, we will bear witness to, and that means that we will affirm, we'll sacrifice for it, we'll speak highly of it, we will look like it. What one says about one, what we believe, what we experience, that's our witness. So if we're going to witness and be faithful witnesses to Christ, it means we affirm his lordship, we walk daily in the way of him, we face suffering in our resisting of Babylon. And we know that in those letters last week, Smyrna and Philadelphia, they faced suffering. They were following the Lamb. Their worship was solely on him. They bore witness to him, but they suffered. 
And so it's no accident that John, after all these letters and particularly finishing with the letter to Laodicea, that he has this vision of the throne room, what we read before, because he's placing their eyes back onto God and who their whole lives should be devoted to. His message is that their and our worship, our lives of devotion to Christ, become the witness. For this church in Laodicea, their lives were not witnessing to the Lamb, but purely to their self, and that was it. They became witness of empire, not of Christ. And so we do have to ask ourselves, and this is where it rubs, do our lives bear witness to who we worship? And remember that worship is not just who we sing our songs to, but what our hands commit to doing, the way that our actions, our words, are those things witnessing to others who we have devoted our life to? Are we hot springs? Do we offer healing and restoration that alleviates the hurt of this world? Are we like cold springs of water that quench the thirst of those who are thirsty? Or have we become lukewarm, this tepid mix of world and maybe a bit of devotion to Jesus? We might sing some songs, but that's about it. Because we can look at the suffering around us in the world that's happening right now and we can become blind to it. Not offering healing or hope and choosing to look away because it doesn't actually affect us here. Our worship becomes our witness. We will either be witnesses of Christ or to Babylon. It will either result in freedom for the oppressed, endurance through suffering, love for enemy and neighbour, the mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. It'll either lead to honest business practices and economic practice, advocacy for the poorest in our communities, or it will lead to our participation in the systems of this world that still long for power and greed and oppression and violence that turns a blind eye to the pain of this world and the effect that it has. It will leave us blind, poor and naked. So how do we live in a world where Babylon exists? And I'm going to call our worship team up because we're going to spend some time in worship to finish with. How do we live in a world where Babylon exists? We worship, and that is our lives, our hearts, the things that we do, we say, what we fill ourselves with, are turned towards the Lamb and we bear witness to him through our lives. Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza um, is a scholar and she posed this question in regards to this reading, our reading of Revelation as a whole. And she says, what does a reading of Revelation do to someone to submit who submits to its world vision. More narrowly, what does it do to a person who constantly turns to God in worship? The short answer is that it changes us. Worship, our devotion, it changes us. Worship as a whole body, whole mind, 
whole voice and whole life lived in gratitude to God for redemption and a whole life surrendered to the way of the Lamb. Jesus says in, the, in each letter, he says to the churches, repent. And that word repent is change your thinking, change the direction you're going in. And I think that I myself, daily, I need to change my thinking, change my direction, change where I'm looking and look back to the Lamb who's seated on the throne. And I think it would be fitting for us to take time this morning to come and to repent, to ask the Lord to help us in changing our thinking, changing our way, looking back to Him and that our lives would become worship, acts of devotion to Him. So how about we just take this time as we kind of prepare, we're just going to play a little bit. Feel free to just sit here in this moment, in this quiet and bring yourself to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Good Life Podcast today. Remember that you can stay up to date with the podcast by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening to right now. If you're interested in our ongoing conversation where we're delving deeper and asking questions about what we're talking about on Sundays, be sure to check out the Pondering episodes in the same feed. Otherwise, we would love it if you could like, follow, and even give us a five-star review. It all helps in getting the good news out there. You can also head to our website, goodlife.org.au, or our YouTube for video content and resources. Until next time, peace.